chose a passage from the lectionary today, one which is probably known by many of you. It comes from a deeply theological portion of the book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul is examining the character and the meaning of what it means to be a Christian in the world. These are words of reflection for the church and for all those who live for Jesus. So I invite you to seek the Lord today with your soul open and ready to receive his grace. Romans 7, beginning at verse 15 through 25. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pretty regularly, someone will quote this passage to me as a way of explaining the struggle they're having in their life. As a pastor and a fellow disciple on the journey, we talk about the inner conflict we understand to be true. Why? Why is it that we do what we don't want to do? It's a common way that Christians acknowledge something we all understand Yet because we are saved by grace, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. In fact, we're far, far from it. The question which theologians have debated, though, since not long after these words were written is this. To whom exactly is Paul writing? Now, this is a good question because of the nature of the message, but also one in which the context in which it's written. In Paul's time, the Jewish thought was that there were two warring nations in the soul. The belief was that God made humans with an impulse for good and evil inside of them. I used to have a theology professor who had three children and he used to say, if someone doesn't believe in original sin, they should spend time with a toddler. Because if people are born all good, why are small children so awful? Have you ever spent time with one of them? No one has to teach them how to be willful. They just are. Now we understand that sin plagues our world. It runs rampant and tears apart, not just individuals, but families and institutions 
and systems and communities and whole nations. It is a strong force. How much we need the salvation, the redemption that Jesus came to bring. Paul has just finished in the previous section, exhorting the church to live into what they have become, which is children of God, free from the bondage of sin and death. He says the law was given to help humanity to live in obedience to God, but the law, he says, was not adequate to bring true freedom from sin and guilt. And so here Paul highlights the real tension of what we believe with the difficulty we have sometimes living out in our own bodies. Yet scholars have debated these words. Is Paul writing to those who don't know Christ or about those who don't know Christ? Those who live by the law or the rules of the day but can't overcome the flesh because they don't have the spirit? Nothing good lives or dwells in them. He understands that experience. He came to faith as an adult. He understands that. Is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about a Christian, talking to the Christians, a person who is surrendered fully to Jesus? And some scholars say, well, man, he sure can't be doing that. And if he is doing that, then it must be someone who isn't very mature in the faith. Because this person doesn't seem very stable. Verses 15 through 20 describe being dominated by sin to such an extent that a person is not capable even of doing a bit of good, no matter how hard they try. Verses 21 through 25 talk about the frustration that humans have because the opportunity to sin is always nearby, which causes a war inside of us. A tug of war, like Mr. Fun talked about. And some days, it may feel as though one side is pulling harder than the other, much to our delight or our dismay. I find the binary nature of this conversation not helpful in some ways. All of us are in process. All of us who are Christian have experienced how we still have struggles. The journey with Christ sometimes is up and down and sideways and around. And it is against the wind and the tide and the forces that threaten to upend us. Paul is communicating a lot of self-awareness here. He knows the challenges being faced and he wants to do something about them. He strongly, strongly wants to do something about them. He doesn't want to keep living in the same way, being tugged back and forth between sin and grace. But isn't that the nature of living in the world? We have been given this incredible free gift of forgiveness. And yet still, we're daily faced with the decision of all the choices that we will make. Will we act from the Holy Spirit who lives in us? Or will we react out of our old sin nature? If we think we have arrived, we are in danger when we say that there is nothing sinful in us. We live in a time when people don't want to think about sin. 
when they deny its very existence. It's often excused as being human. But that explanation doesn't take into account the pure nature of our God who lives in such holiness and perfection, who grieves over our sin, who grieves over the brokenness that we live in. We have to be honest and say there are moments in life where we struggle with a persistent sin, an addiction, a hurtful pattern, a rebellious attitude, a spirit that sometimes is entrenched in the world and sometimes gets the better of us. I honor the countless theologians who have painstakingly dissected this passage throughout the centuries, and I'm not claiming in 10 minutes to have the right answer. My hope is that as your pastor, that all of us would acknowledge the frustrating experiences we have of walking away from a situation where we were the worst version of ourselves instead of the redeemed version that Christ wants us to be, that Christ died for us to be. We try to keep our anger or our lust from controlling us, but sometimes we can't. We try to serve others and sometimes end up selfishly taking instead. We try to love others and to not judge. And sometimes we fail miserably. We try to live with a, an eternal perspective, but can get mired in the mud of the temporary. We rebel against how God would change us, choosing instead to willfully stay just as we are, because it's easier than being shaped in his image. We ignore the cries of the poor and the marginalized, choosing to have our own needs met, to live into our own comfort. We hurt others with our pointed comments and our sarcasm, not caring about the words that we say. It's interesting that for how often people quote this, they miss a key idea that Paul gets to. With all of the talk of going back and forth, we may forget that Paul doesn't mean for us to stay there. Look at verse 24. Who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have been rescued. We have been found. We've been saved. We've been delivered. Have you ever needed to be rescued? Where something happened and you couldn't get where or what you needed? I have. And I have never been so glad to see those first responders walking through my door. This text ends with hope. God's grace gives us freedom that was won when Jesus defeated the power of sin. Paul's articulation of the ongoing very real battle that belongs to all of humanity is a sign of spiritual health. Yes, we live with the truth that sin will try to take over our lives. And 
we live with the truth that as long as we seek the life Christ died to give us, we will be free from its ultimate hold on us. Jesus helps us understand how to die to ourselves. The struggle is never our final destination, but part of helping us get to where God wants us to be, which is victorious and set free to be more fully rooted in him. In the very next section, Paul says this, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What struggles do you bring honestly to this time of communion today? I've had a week where I've had struggles that I have dealt with my whole life. And it's not easy. It's frustrating to see those patterns still, those things that I thought had died. And we come to the Lord and we cry out, Lord, please have mercy on us again. I'm so sorry. Please have grace upon us again. Jesus, help us. You see, the cross of Christ confronts us. The cross of Christ invites us to let go. Maybe for the hundredth time, the evil we didn't want to do, but did. So this morning, where do you need to lay down your pride? To receive forgiveness for the sin which is causing pain in your life. Today we uh, partake of the elements and as we do, let us ask Jesus to show us what next steps we can take with those actions and attitudes of ours that truly break his heart. He can help us to overcome. May he meet us and show us what to do. Let us now hear the liturgy and partake of the liturgy as we get ready to take communion. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.